Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. The neighborhood had gone uh, really African-American because the freeway was put in. Mm-hmm. 35W and it displaced right. poor people just like over in St. Paul with Rondo and right. all across the country yep. they, they displaced poor people yep. and then the people with skills and resources left the primary economy Lake Street, Auto Row 11 new car dealers mm. Sears, Roebuck, the Mall of America mm-hmm. <laughs> from yeah. everywhere coming in the shop there yep. they, they, they split He revitalized an inner city Art Erickson had a vision to transform what was then called Crack Alley into what became Urban Ventures in Minneapolis. And now years later, he has a new vision for the neighborhood and all neighborhoods across America. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence multiple rapes. Hey, it's so good to have you here on Life Support. What we do in this program is we tell stories, and stories about how Jesus enters in to various circumstances, trauma, suffering, uh, projects to help other people, and it's a lot of fun, so I'm so glad you've joined us. We have a very special guest with us today. His name is Art Erickson. He's the executive director of Studio 180, and I'm really glad you're here, Art. Thanks a lot for dropping by. It's good to be here, Paul. So tell me about Studio 180. What exactly is that? Studio 180. We have been changing places and changing people 180 degrees in the same neighborhood for 52 years. Wow. And we invite you in, and we will share our hindsights and our insights for your foresights. So we want to train people to do transformational uh, change in neighborhoods. And uh, we want to do that with uh, young people, 22 to 35 years old. We want to do a number of other things. So we're trainers. Good for you. It seems like a really great endeavor. We'll talk about that here down the road. What brought you up here and um, what got you involved with uh, projects like that down in the Minneapolis area? I grew up in Chicago. My dad was a Ph.D. in organic chemistry. My mom never finished high school. She had uh, pneumatic fever, and she had a heart problem. And uh, they married, and uh, I I was one of the kids. And uh, we were raised at 842 North Wells in the Chicago Dombek Caprini Green. So I knew the projects. Mm -hmm. And when I say the projects, I mean the projects. Mm -hmm. And I also was very aware of redlining. Redlining is folks from the south would move up, African-American folks, colored folks in those days, would move up, and they would be in one neighborhood. So there'd be one family in an apartment, then there'd be two families in that apartment, and there'd be three families in that apartment because they couldn't go anywhere Mm -hmm. else. They had to be in their red-lined area. Mm -hmm. And so I was very aware of redlining. I also knew the the area of Chicago because we we knew Lake Michigan, Mm -hmm. and Lake Michigan had all the white beaches except the 79th Street Bridge, wow. Street Beach, and that was the mm. Black Beach, wow. six blocks, that, that they, could, they could be there. Wow. <laughs> I, I grew up in Moody Church, mm-hmm. a church that was built in 1900 for 4,600 4, people. <laughs> and they, uh, they had a youth director there, Bob Murphan, who 
uh, was hired as a youth director, and he had some camps, off the street club camps, and I was went to one of them. And when I was uh, 10 years old, I, I almost drowned. This guy tried to drown me, and uh, I was in the infirmary for four days. The next year, I gave my life to Christ. Hmm. And uh, so I uh, never grew, and, but I, I, I was a believer, and my, my dad was a believer, my mom. In fact, my mom's best friend was Billy Graham. Is that I, right? Well, not Billy Graham. Uh, George, George, uh, George Beverly Shea. Oh, well, fr- sure. From Ottawa. Yeah. And so my dad was a radio announcer for one year, Sunday nights, for Billy's first, uh, first radio program. Is that right? Yes. Wow. So, so Dad would announce everything, Bev would sing, and Billy would get up and preach. Wow. And I'd be walking. That? I'd be running the halls at six, six, eight, wow. you know, six years old. That's like royalty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that crazy? Yeah. But uh, we so so I, I have a background of, uh, of evangelism at a very interesting level, and Moody Church, where all the famous people would come through, mm-hmm. and be interviewed. They they'd preach there and. Tom Mix and all the different people. And uh, so it was quite a, it, it, Youth for Christ started there. Mm-hmm. And so it was quite a thing. And uh, I uh, came up here to go to school. I came up here to go to Bethel College. And I got involved in Young Life. And then I, I took my Young Life background and uh, started in Mound, Minnesota. By the way, where did Campus Crusade start? Everybody says California. Bill Bright was out in Mound, Minnesota. That's where he started Campus Crusade. Is that right? And they they had they had a football camp and they kicked the ball ninety yards and wowed the kids and twenty seven kids came to Christ and they asked me to come follow them up and they all had collective amnesia. <laughs> we, we don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, so I had to build my relationships and mm-hmm. we started a club there and then mm-hmm. Minnetonka and Edina and Roosevelt and Richfield and uh, uh, different places. And uh, when I was 30, uh, by the way, when I was 21 at Bethel, I, uh, I had played football, basketball, baseball, college. I had done a lot of things, but I wasn't studying. Mm. And what are you in college for? I had that problem, too. <laughs> so I was playing cards until 2 o'clock in the morning with the guys. Mm-hmm. And one night at 10 o'clock... I got down on my knees, and I gave my life to Christ again. Mm-hmm. But see, I'd had 11-year-old faith for a 21-year-old set of problems. It didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't technical. You know, I, I, I believe, you know, I don't have to do this all the time, but the truth is I have to do it every day. Yeah. Because I have to renegotiate my relationship with him, but mm-hmm. I felt like two thousand pounds came off my back. Then mm-hmm. I had to lock myself in the classroom up there, in the in the big in the big hall, from six until ten, and study and study and study, and uh, began to put my my disciplines together. Then I got involved with a guy with Young Life, and pretty soon I decided to go to Young Life. So I took that job. Um, at thirty. Um, Young Life wanted me to go to Chicago, and I said, uh, Chicago, I, I, I like here. And so I went, to, I went to four different PhDs. Wow. And I asked them their counsel. Mm-hmm. One said, if you don't go to Chicago, Young Life will never give you anything else. Hmm. 
and, and the other said, stay right where you are because it's just beginning to develop. And another said, go to the U and get a, a degree in, in social work because that's going to be the future of, of, of youth work. The last one said, you better get that on your knees. You don't get that from anybody. So I went to the Basilica, downtown Minneapolis, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, eight hours. Monday, I was supposed to go to Chicago. Tuesday, I was supposed to stay here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was yeah. at breakfast uh, out in Excelsior at a restaurant and uh, on Saturday and at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I had a quiet peace that I was to go to Park Avenue Methodist Church. And so I applied for the job and got it. And I came into the, 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 the church there, and it was a historic white church. And... Um, the, the neighborhood had gone uh, really African-American because the freeway was put in, mm -hmm. 35W, and it displaced right. poor people, just like over in St. Paul with Rondo and right. all across the country. Yep. They, they displaced poor people. Yep. And then the people with skills and resources left. The primary economy, Lake Street, Auto Row, 11 new car dealers, mm. the Sears Roebuck, the Mall of America, mm -hmm. <laughs> from yeah. everywhere coming in the shop there, yep. they, they, they split. Uh, Sears went to the mall, mm -hmm. and everybody else came out to the suburbs and got 12 acres and parking lots and everything else. And, right. and then the uh, secondary economy came in, which is uh, five, five things uh, to get my money. I, I, I'd sell drugs, the drugs of the era. Mm -hmm. I sell myself. I sell somebody else. I street crime and fence at the convenience stores. Or I get a check from the government, so the bank, you know, th three first three days of the bank of the month are lines and lines of people cashing their checks. And none mm -hmm. of it has dignity. Mm -hmm. So that created what we called the donut paradigm. The donut paradigm. So the, the, the city is, is a donut. The dough is on the outside, mm -hmm. and the hole is in the yeah. middle. Yeah. And it's not a hole, it's a sinkhole. Yeah. And so we, 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 we just said, we're at the church. I had a 50% job description in the church and 50% in the neighborhood. So I took my young life background, went to the schools, Central High School, Bryant Junior High, Wilder Elementary, had lunch with the kids like I always did, mm -hmm. got to know them and began to build relationships and began to do some programming, athletic club, summer programs. More from Pastor Paul and Art Erickson in just a moment. This is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media. We're a co-presenter of this program. And we are honored to introduce a brand new video curriculum series called Caring for Mental Health. This 10-part series is available to you at no cost and is designed to help you and others come alongside those who are struggling with mental health. If you'd like to learn more, go to lifesupportresources.org, lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. And how were you received? By whom? By the people you were ministering to, by the kids. By the kids in the schools? Mm -hmm. Wonderfully. By the kids in the church? Mm -hmm. Carefully. Mm -hmm. By the parents? Uh-uh. Yeah. You're bringing folks in here, yeah. and you're taking them on trips, and they're getting to know each other, and they're beginning to mix, and this is not good. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you one story. 
know, uh, I, I, I would go to the school in the neighborhood all the time. And so I'd go out to the suburbs to see a kid for, for lunch at his school or her school. And one time I, I walked in and the kid out in Richfield said, what are you doing out here? I said, I'm coming to have lunch with you. He said, you're supposed to be at church. You're supposed to be in your office at the church. You're not supposed to be out here with me. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, I'm just coming out to see who your, who your support group is, who, who your friends are. I just mm-hmm. came out here to see you. <laughs> you see, the, the, mm-hmm. the, there's, 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 uh, geography is a yeah. very interesting thing. Sure is. So um, I was at the church for about uh, five years, and uh, I went to a board meeting one night, and the, uh, my, my education commission chairperson stood up and said, we are not going to renew Art Erickson's job description job this next year so okay (laughs) and then the senior pastor got up and said you're not going to decide on art's job tonight you're going to decide on the tandem ministry of art erickson and phil heinemann Mm. so he tied his job with mine Mm, good for him pastors don't do that they they put their arm around you say what are you going to do when you grow up yeah and Mm -hmm. uh he we 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 won 17 to 4 but we lost 600 members in the next four months wow Good old Re- church politics. Realities yeah. of racial things going yeah. on in, mm-hmm. in the church. Make wow. sense? Yeah. So you then obviously had already developed a, a commitment to that area or to this kind of work. Now, was this something that was cemented uh, in your heart, or was this something that God had to kind of take you kick, kicking and screaming into that? Well, first of all, in uh, I, I grew up in Chicago at, at Moody, and that mm-hmm. was— in the in the neighborhood, yeah. Bob Murphy pulled the, you know, off the street club, kids. Right. And then I came up to Young Life, and we we do the city. We we do Richfield, we do Edina, we do uh, Chaska, we do. So we take the city. Yeah. So when I went into Park, I, I took a different geography. I took the central neighborhood, which was a square mile. Okay, Lake yeah. Street down to Thirty Eighth, and then Chicago Avenue. Over to the freeway. So, for those that aren't from the Twin Cities, that would this is very close to the George Floyd. It was uh, right on the corner. Yep, thirty eighth in Chicago. So you you know that gives them some reference because they've probably seen that a hundred times on video. That whole thing, if not thousands, not thousands, yeah. But uh, the the next thing I had to do is uh, I took the job and within six months I moved into the neighborhood, and bought a house across the street from the church, because I had to be incarnational. Mm-hmm. I had to live there. Not in the car, going in and out, yeah, but incarnational, yeah, in the neighborhood, and I, I just think that's very crucial. I think it is too. Um, if you if you're driving in from the suburbs, you, it's just difficult to number one, you, you're gonna have a hard time earning trust. You're not gonna understand the the, the intricacies of what you're doing there, and um, I think that was a wise decision. Now you you have quite a um, I don't know, resume, I guess, of people that you've run up against doing all this. One of them being John Turnerseed, who, of course, is uh, was Life Support's first story that they began to tell. Mm-hmm. How did you run into John and, and uh, get to know him? Well, John was uh, four blocks away from me, where I lived. And uh, I would see him at school, and I would see him in the neighborhood. And uh, he wanted nothing to do with me. Um, I was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I I, uh, I kept saying hi to him and, and all that. 
And uh, because I had a house in the neighborhood, I, I didn't have air conditioning. And uh, so uh, the, uh, the gangs were getting big and a lot of shooting every night. So I was hearing the shots every night. Mm. In fact, John's son had his leg shot off with 16 shots behind my house. Wow. So this is going on all the time. And when I say incarnational, you wouldn't know this was going on if you didn't live there. That's right. If yeah. you were driving in every day, who are you? Yeah. What's going on? You have no context for that. So it was that, and I got to know his family because it was a big family, and they all started playing basketball for us. We had a basketball court on the, uh, on the blacktop. We built basketball courts out there, four courts. And they, they were playing ball, and they would come to camp with me, but not John. So we just had that disparity, mm -hmm. okay? He was a gang kid, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I, I worked with kids. Yeah. And uh, so that was, that was one of the things that, that happened with John. And so um, we, he really, re really didn't have anything to do with me when I was at Park. And uh, I just followed him, but, uh, but no relationship. Now, in 93, I, uh, I was 25 years at Park Avenue. And at 93, I went over and started uh, uh, Urban Ventures, which is six blocks away. And the mayor, Sharon Sells Belton, told us to buy Happy's Potato Chip Factory, which we did, mm -hmm. and we moved in. That was Crack Alley. That was Alexander Brothers' Pornography Empire. And uh, that was John Turnipsey's gang's headquarter. Wow. At the VFW Hall, right across the street wow. there. Wow, <laughs> how about that? So here we are. Yeah. Three murders, all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, we're back at it again. Wow, and, and so there you were. Now, if you had to kind of summarize briefly what what was the major problem you were seeing? In other words, not the symptom of the problem. I mean, you just listed a whole bunch of symptoms. But John would sit here and say it's it's lack of fathers. That's, you know, if you want to really narrow it down to one big thing, what what would you say to that? I call it father absence. Father absence, yeah. Because there was a study done by the McKnight Foundation, two African-American PhDs, and they hired them to do a study on the central neighborhood. They found out there were 14% empty homes, vacant houses, and there was about 70% uh, father absence. Wow. So this is huge. Yeah. Now, uh, God, in his wisdom, uh, created a family as a social structure that raises a family. Mm -hmm. it, has a, it has a structuring father and a nurturing mother that love each other and raise their kids to be 18, out the house, <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. but give them all the structuring. Yep. Now, uh, like I did, I sat down to a table every day as a kid in Chicago with my dad and mom. Um, mom sat here, dad sat here, my sister sat over there, my brother and I sat here, and uh, we couldn't start breakfast until everyone sat. And then da dad prayed, and at the end of the meal, he read a scripture, and we couldn't leave until we were dismissed. Mm -hmm. Every meal, mm -hmm. family, yep. talk, yep. communicate. Mm -hmm. In a father absent home, there's no table. Mm. There's absolutely no table. It's 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 in front of the TV. It's in your bedroom. It's alone in the kitchen. Yeah. And uh, the communication isn't dialogue. It's 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 shaming. It's blaming. It's who do you think you are? What's going on here? Why can't you? And so it's just all that stuff. So there's no building up 
of any kind of self-image, mm-hmm. any kind of relationship. Does this make sense? Yes. And mm-hmm. so what you have is you have men in the house, but not fathers. Mm-hmm. And the men don't care about you. And the men can be verbally abusive. They can be physically abusive. And they can be sexually abusive. And so what you have is a, a lot of problems going on with your kids. Yeah. And these kids have a lot of hurt, huge hurt. And they carry that hurt with them. By the way, there's a lot of anger. And the anger then goes to resentment. And that resentment goes to bitterness. And so you have in these situations a lot of bitterness. Mm. And the kids really don't get brain development. Sit down and read to them so they develop the brain, early childhood. Yep. They, they, they don't get skills. They don't have a workbench. They don't learn how to do things. So they don't have education. They don't have skills. And, and what, what can they do? So they go out and do what they can do, which is gang turf. And the family is not my family. It's the gang. Yeah. And I have a structure in the gang. So they're getting a false, a fake well, family. You have, to, you have to pay a price to get in. Yep. And you'll pay a huge price to get out. And mm-hmm. besides that, don't ask any questions. Just do it. Mm-hmm. So what are you working on in Studio 180 right now down there? Well, I... I, I, uh, I could I talk about Park Avenue for a minute? Yes, yes. W- would that be okay? Because Go ahead. I, I want to just say, when you take kids yeah. and you're going to put these kids together with these kids, yeah. you don't just take them to a nice little camp. Right. We took stress camping. So I took 40 kids on a 750-mile bike trip in eight days. These are not bikers. <laughs> yeah. This is 85 miles a day. Yeah. I just want to ask, what's the worst day? Everybody says, oh, the first day. No. (laughs) The third day. Mm. The third day, everything hurt so bad, so much. I hit a wall. I had a kid throw the bike down the ravine. And so you sit down and say, okay, uh, sit down. What are you going to do now? Shut up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, uh, What are you going to do? You're going to go down and get the bike? Shut up. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to go call my mother. Oh, really? Uh, first of all, uh, she doesn't have a car, so she can't do anything. Shut up. So you have to wait an hour until the kid yeah. goes down and picks his bike up, mm-hmm. repairs it, because we have a repair kit in, with, the, with the van, gets on and goes another five days. And the next five days are monotonous, 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 monotonous. Until you're about five miles away from home and everybody gets ready to see the crowd and you, yeah. they come on the yeah. platform. Ah! Yeah, right. So, uh, so two weeks later, you sit down and you, you, you talk about uh, in life, when you're, when you're 15, and instead of getting pregnant and going on, on, on welfare, uh, don't. And go to college or go to school or do this. Uh, when you hit the wall, reach inside yourself and pull something out you didn't know you had and it begin to keep going. Mm. And then learn that those that master the monotony of life, three meals a day, uh, 11 diapers, uh, pay the bills, blah, 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 year after year after year, the ones that master the monotony are the ones that win. Mm -hmm. So these are lessons. So we take mountain climbing trips to 13,000 feet. We go down to Key West over Christmas and 
do snorkeling and all that stuff. We had a bunch of uh, stress camping trips that we that we put kids through constantly to help them build up, get in a live, live in a bigger world. You know, they'd never been out of the neighborhood. Yeah, and then and then begin to put some some skills together and some relationships together. And so we did that, and that produced kids that came through our programs that, one, gave their life to Christ, two, were discipled and disciplined, and three, learned leadership skills. Mm -hmm. And they had a fabric now. They had a family, a family, not a gang, yeah. not a father absent home. They had a family of, 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 of their friends that, that really carried them through. And we have about 150 kids today that are someplace in this world as leaders of organizations and whatnot that came out of that. So that's important. Yeah. Now, when we went over to Urban Ventures, we had to do some other things, which, which we did. And now, in Studio 180, we do training. Okay. I've got a lot of questions for you, so we're going to have you back. And uh, you've uh, raised a lot of really interesting topics, but thanks for all you're doing to help because uh, there aren't, you know, everybody talks a good game very few people that are willing to really get involved and you're doing a good job so thank you so much mm -hmm. and thanks for being here too okay it's really <laughs> nice to meet you okay. hey you know what um what art's talking about is um you know a relationship with jesus christ and maybe you're listening right now and you're not quite sure exactly what that is or maybe uh you've been in church your whole life and you're just kind of trying to sort things out we want you to know that there is an answer and his name is jesus he died on the cross for your sins and it doesn't make your life easier to follow Jesus, but it makes it more rewarding and you can be forgiven and free. And so if you have questions about that, make sure you talk to your pastor. And I want to thank our sponsors of the show. They're so kind to us, MyFaithRadio.com. You can see a video version of this at FiveStoneMedia.com. And we'll see you next time right here on Life Support. for listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support